0: Day two of the January 6th committee hearings. Today's focus, the big lie that the 2020 presidential election was stolen and former President Trump's role in furthering that lie.
1: We'll tell the story of how Donald Trump lost an election and knew he lost an election and as a result of his loss, decided to wage an attack on our democracy. An attack on the American people by trying to rob you of your voice in our democracy. And in doing so, lit the fuse that led to the horrific violence of January 6th when a mob of his supporters stormed the Capitol sent by Donald Trump to stop the transfer of power.
0: That is committee chairman Benny Thompson, Democratic congressman from Mississippi. The key witness today, Bill Stepien, former President Trump's campaign chief, canceled last minute. That was because his wife went into labor this morning. Joining us now is Robert Pape, who's professor of political science at the University of Chicago and director of the Chicago Project on Security and Threats. Welcome to the show, Robert.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Also here is Tom Mikaitis, DePaul University historian. Welcome back, Tom. Thanks for making time.
2: Thank you. Happy to do it.
0: So, Tom, we know emergencies happen. So how common is it that a key witness has to cancel their testimony?
2: I really can't answer that, but it certainly sounds like a uh, a plausible reason to do it. So I don't think there's any reason to be concerned about it. I imagine with hearings this complex, with as many moving parts, they've probably had to do this many times over the past uh, year when they've been sitting. And we just haven't heard much about it. It just happens to be the day that it's televised.
0: Yeah. Well, do you expect that Bill Stepien will still have to testify at some point?
2: Yeah, I I do. Um, The question is, um, you know, if if we you know, if he again comes up with an excuse or something else, I think we'll have cause for greater concern. But but right now, I don't think anybody's questioning that this is anything more than what it appears to be.
0: The uh, first witness called was former Fox News political editor Chris Stierwalt. Democrat Zoe Lofgren of California asked him about a so-called red mirage. Could you explain what a red mirage is?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a phenomenon we've seen, you know, many uh, over many years now. That for whatever reason, that I'm not, maybe Bob can answer this more than me. Republicans tend to vote more frequently in person. Well, Democrats make greater use of mail-in ballots. Now, this may have something to do with their work schedules, their family circumstances, whatever. But what it creates is is an unnatural uh, blip um, or an inaccurate blip early in the evening, where as the as the actual tally votes are counted first, the ones cast on the day of you see, you know, an over-reporting or a reporting of the Republican candidate being far ahead. And then as the night progresses, um, you will see the right, they will move to the, the mail-in ballots. I meant to say mail-in, not write-in. The mail-in ballots, the absentee ballots, and so on. And that number will correct, which is why there isn't a rush on the part of the, of the uh, networks to proclaim anybody the winner. Well, you know, in this case, however, what Uh, Rudy Giuliani apparently advised the president, as did some others, that he should just go to the microphone, declare he won, and demand that the vote counting stop, because they knew perfectly well that the the mail-in votes would, in fact, um, favor the Democrats, just based on statistical analysis. And again, that isn't my field. Um, And as a result, you know, try to say, you know, they did the same thing. He wanted the same thing done with Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Trump said, oh, just go and claim victory because you're ahead. Unfortunately, democracy doesn't work that way. If you're allowed to do that,
0: we've got really serious problems. Yeah. Anything to add, Robert?
1: Uh, I think Tom has it just right. Uh, The big thing that happened today was not the discussion of the Red Mirage, but the national review of the lack of evidence of voter fraud. Uh, we knew before today's hearing that uh, over 60 cases um, had failed uh, to find fraud. Well, we didn't know the details. We didn't know how much Trump's inner circle was investigating and looking for that evidence, including Barr, uh, Barr and his deputies. And that is what the real news is today. Today is the is the first time. We've had a true national review of the evidence of voter fraud in the 2020 election. And now we can all see the details of why the courts threw out all those cases.
0: Yeah. Well, in his response, Chris Steyerwalt explained that this happens in nearly every presidential election, the, the red mirage. Yeah. Let's listen.
2: So in every election and certainly a national election, you expect to see the Republican with a lead, but it's not really a lead. Um, When you put together a jigsaw puzzle, it doesn't matter which piece you put in first. It ends up with the same image. So for us, who cares? Uh, But that's because no candidate had ever tried to avail themselves of this quirk in the election counting system. We had gone to pains, uh, and I'm proud of the pains we went to, to make sure that we were informing viewers that this was going to happen because the Trump uh, campaign and the president had made it clear that they were going to try to exploit this anomaly.
0: Tom, your impression of his response?
2: Yeah, it um, it it is undeniably clear. What I kept finding myself asking as this unfolded is, are we talking about a man um, who? developed a big lie as a calculated, cynical strategy to overturn the election? Are we talking about somebody who's delusional, who genuinely believes this? And then I don't know what that does to proving conspiracy. I think the one thing to me that I would add to Bob's excellent summary of what we learned today is that how much money Trump made – Over this, and I think the thing to me that I thought was a bit of a, you know, a a very revealing moment was when they said people were being told this money is going to be used to challenge the results of the election, but instead it went into a political action committee for the president. That really seems like willful deception. Now I'm not a lawyer, I can't say that, but if that's the case, it really does seem to support the argument that he knew. And what he was fomenting was, in fact, a lie. And, and commentators have said throughout that from the very opening, particularly by Liz Cheney, it, seemed, it sounds like a prosecutor laying out a case for indictment. Uh, you know, and, and that, I think, is interesting as well.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, since Bill Stepien, who's Trump's campaign chief, wasn't able to join today's hearing, the committee did pivot and showed a video of taped testimony. Uh, the committee questioned Stepien about what he told Trump to expect from early votes and how that might shift throughout the night. What do you make of what Stepien had to say there, Tom?
2: Well, I think, you know, it it seems pretty clear that everybody around the president was telling him, look, this is over. There's nothing you can do. You're going to lose this election. You should concede and everything else. And what any of us would do, much as we'd get over being disappointed, we might grasp at straws for a little bit. We do what Mitt Romney did in 2012. He just looked at everybody very sadly and said, it's not going to happen, is it? And he moved on. In this case, what what Donald Trump apparently did was just call in people who supported what he wished to hear. And that would be the pattern all the way down to January 6th. And I feel like, you know, Bob and I both know we were on uh, WBEZ right after the election, warning everybody that something like January 6th would probably happen. Um, You know, I wish we had been wrong, but but I think that's the reality.
0: Yeah, and uh, and Robert, you know, as you, you mentioned, um, you know this isn't the big news right now, uh, but we will get into some more specifics of, of the evidence that was presented this morning shortly. Well, um, well, well, go ahead. Sorry,
1: what, I, what I think is yeah, what I think's important to understand is that, as Liz Cheney explained last Thursday, the committee's goal is to prove that Trump intended to overthrow the government. Well, as part of the case to prove that Trump intended to overthrow the government, it's crucial that the committee prove that Trump knew he had no evidence, no corroborated evidence that he won. Otherwise, he's not overthrowing the government, you see. So today is a crucial step in the committee's evidence that Donald Trump intended to overthrow the government. So it is, uh, it may seem to the public that we're reviewing some old ground and so forth. It's important to understand the committee's target for this evidence is the Department of Justice. They're not trying to win in the court of public opinion. They're trying to prove a legal case Mm -hmm. that Donald Trump intended to overthrow the government. And it's crucial then to prove that he knew he had no evidence that he won.
0: To that end, in a taped deposition, former U.S. Attorney General William Barr expressed that uh, voter, voter fraud claims from Trump were concerning. Let's hear a bit of that.
2: And the statements were made very uh, uh, conclusory, like, you know, these machines were designed to, you know, engage in fraud or something to that effect. But I didn't see any supporting information for it. And I was somewhat demoralized because I thought, boy, if he really believes this stuff, he has, you know, lost contact with with he's become detached from reality.
0: So this is Barr's first public denouncement of Trump. Uh, in fact, earlier this year, he said that he would vote for Trump again. So what do you make of this turn, Robert?
1: Well, this is devastating for uh, Trump because, again, going back to the legal case the committee intends to show that Trump intended to overthrow the government. This means when Trump is putting pressure on Pence to reject um the, uh, the, the slates of electors on January 6th, he has no basis in evidence to believe he actually won. And therefore, it's his, the, uh, his intent is to overthrow the government. Well Barr is showing the details of the extent to which Trump's own uh, Department of Justice looked into these and then reports directly to Trump that there is no there there, this means this is devastating here, and the Department of Justice is going to have to take this very seriously. This is the first real evidence uh, along the the train that Trump intended to overthrow the government.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We were talking about the latest from the January 6th committee hearings. Here to give us insight into this and key takeaways from the hearings so far is Robert Robert Pape, who's Professor of Political Science at the University of Chicago and Director of Chicago Project on Security and Threats. Also with us is Tom Mikaitis, who is a DePaul University historian. Now, uh, the committee called three witnesses on a panel to respond to allegations brought before courts of voter fraud. They were uh, Benjamin Ginsburg, a Republican election lawyer, uh, former U.S. Attorney B. Young J. and Al Schmidt, a former Philadelphia city commissioner. So, Tom, what did we learn from them, and what do you make of their testimonies?
2: Well, this lends, you know, incredible credibility uh, to what the panel is saying because these were not, you know, these were not liberal-leaning lawyers brought in to support an ideological position. I mean, one had been involved in the, you know, the the Supreme Court case, Gore v. Bush, that ended up helping to decide the 2000 election. So you could hardly accuse him of somehow being leaning left. But all of them said, you know, how in some cases, these lawsuits ranged from, you know, very minor, almost trivial, to to almost frivolous, you know. And again, I stress I'm not a lawyer legal expert um, in terms of assessing that. But I think the thing was is that it was clear that, in fact, in some cases, these, these suits were met with the door, with a decision. Just to add to what, what Bob said, I think he, he's absolutely right about aiming at the Justice Department. But I think the emotional impact, and I've been immersed in the details of this from the get-go, and mm-hmm. I still find it incredibly powerful to see all of this laid out together in such a compelling and, I think, as Bob said, damning
0: sort of way. Here's a clip from B.J. Park responding to claims about suitcases full of ballots.
2: But in actuality, in review of the entire uh, video, uh, it showed that that was actually an official ballot box that was kept underneath the the tables. And then we saw them pack up because the announcement that they thought they were done for the night. And then once the announcement was made that you should continue counting, they brought the ballot box out and they continued to count.
0: Now, here's Al Schmidt responding to Giuliani's claims that 8,000 dead people voted in Philadelphia.
2: Not only was there not evidence of 8,000 dead voters <clears throat> voting in Pennsylvania, there wasn't evidence of eight. We took seriously every case that was referred to us, no matter how fantastical, no matter how absurd, and took every one of those seriously, including
1: these.
0: What are your thoughts, Robert? Robert?
1: Well, these are three or four specific cases that the committee goes in in detail to refute the evidence. And they're not just cases that are kind of picked out of the air. If we would go back and read and look at Donald Trump's speech on January 6th, he went through state after state. And these are some of the key allegations that he said in front of the crowd proved that there was voter fraud. And what the committee is doing is they are setting this up so that what they're doing is showing that before January 6th, Donald Trump knew that there was no evidence supporting these allegations so that when he goes to actually say these on January 6th, this is showing his intent to overthrow the government in detail because they will connect up to the January 6th speech. So this is, uh, it's, you know, riveting television, of course, but for the legal case, this is really devastating for Trump.
2: The the only thing I have to raise though, Bob, is when you say he knew, I think at some point he really has gone over the edge and convinced himself that these lies are the truth because we're living in a world for a large section of the electorate The truth is not what's objectifiably variable, uh, verifiable, but what the leader says truth is. Now, that's the definition of fascism. But I I found myself scratching my head back and forth throughout this whole thing. Does he really, he sounds like he genuinely believed the lies and was impervious to any decision? And he explained away every court decision as being somehow not fair. And I don't know. Does he does he believe this or is he really just playing a very clever and cynical game?
0: Yeah. Well, since it formed, this January 6th committee has had trouble getting Republican lawmakers to cooperate. The the committee resorted to, to issuing subpoenas for five GOP lawmakers in the House of Representatives. Tom, can you just explain the historic nature of these subpoenas?
2: Well, of course. I mean, I, I'm not aware of a case in which that has happened in the past where they've literally subpoenaed members of their own right. of their own body. But what I think is really telling here is the comment Liz Cheney made uh, in uh, on uh, you know in, when the, on the on the prime televised hearing, the first one, that she named one individual and said there were several others who sought a pardon from President Trump. You know, You know, to because of what happened on January sixth, so that that's I think to me a bit of a of a bombshell because it really suggests that um, they had implicated themselves to a degree which was criminal. Um, other, why else would you ask for a pardon? And uh, one of the individuals who she named said, "No, no, that isn't true." And they, she came back. They came back and said, "We have evidence." Mm-hmm. and I think that's why they're not wanting to testify, is that they really would be put on the hot seat and have to
0: answer some very, very tough questions. So, Robert, can we take the committee seriously? Like, Does it have teeth?
1: It has tremendous teeth because it is providing... The evidence, the committee's teeth is the evidence that it is providing for the Department of Justice to bring a criminal case against Donald Trump um, for uh, inciting a insurrection to overturn the government of the United States. This is uh, An amazing thing that we are watching in front of us that's unfolding uh, because what we're seeing is not um, a trial unfolding we're not seeing prosecutor and defense what we're seeing is the evidence here uh, for the prosecution being developed by a committee Mm -hmm. and that is incredibly uh, compelling and it's going to put tremendous pressure on the Department of Justice here in the fall to bring criminal charges against uh, a former president. Now, that itself is going to become a political uh, bombshell, but it's going to be extremely difficult to duck that once this evidence, if if the committee continues at this pace, it will be virtually impossible for the Department of Justice to avoid bringing those charges.
0: We've been speaking with Robert Pate, Professor of Political Science at the University of Chicago, and DePaul University historian Tom Mikaitis. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.